Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hi, welcome to episode 22 of Lean Whiskey. I'm Mark Raven, and if you are watching on YouTube, you'll notice that we have two guests with us here today. For those of you who are listening, I'll get right into introductions. So I'm really happy to be joined. Uh, they're both with a firm um, called, called Hansha, Hansha Consulting. We're joined by Daryl Wilburn and Sammy O'Bara. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well so far. And uh, tell 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 the you know, well um, tell us where you're joining us from, Daryl. First, I'm in uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, where I, I actually uh, met Mark many years ago. Mm-hmm. So Mark was a former resident of San Antonio. Yeah, that is true. We'll talk about that more in a second. And Sammy, you are in in San Diego, sunny San Diego, where I've been living here for the past uh, seven eight years now. Yeah. Good place to be just down the coast from where I am now uh, in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I th- actually, you know, so we always talk about when we have um, guests on here, you know, where did we meet? And I actually met Sammy first, I believe, through Lean Enterprise Institute connections. I was offered an opportunity to sit in on a workshop that you taught. It must have been 2009 or so around then. Do you? You know, I don't remember which workshop or where it was, uh, and I'm bad with faces. I, now I, I can recognize you really well, but back then, uh, do you remember what it was? The, I should have thought about this in advance. Um, that's a question I should have prepared for. Um, <laughs> a drug, uh, it'll come back to me maybe after a couple of sips of whiskey. I can vaguely picture it was, you know, when back when we did workshops in a room and um, I know that doesn't really help, but there, were you doing a workshop on problem solving? Uh, you know, back in yeah. 2009, we were doing one every month, almost, or three every month. So, yeah, only I had an intense uh, portfolio of uh, of classes and places. So it was all over the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And then Daryl, yeah, you're you're right. We we met up. We had lunch in San Antonio. I remember that well. Um, yes, I think that was our first opportunity to cross paths. And I think I, I might have reached out to you because maybe we'd done a podcast about Toyota by Toyota. Could have been. Yeah, I think that's what it was. About. I brought you a copy of the book. Uh, so yeah, remember that. I don't think. Did we not do a, a lean podcast about the book? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think we did. So I am. Uh, I don't. That could know be. That could be next. I don't we know why that, that didn't next. happen. Yeah, we can. We, <laughs> we can do that next. But, um, I yeah. am Mister Unprepared today. But 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 I have to give you a pro tip. Whenever you're talking to somebody about when you when we met and you can't remember, you just say, "Don't you remember we met in prison?" <laughs> and that makes it a nice conversation starter for everybody. Yeah. I mean, different pro tip. I've gotten burned before when you meet people at conferences and then, you know, you, you get introduced to someone and you say, nice to meet you. And they say, oh, well, we, we met two years okay. ago. Yeah. Don't you remember? Oh, and then sometimes people are nice and like, oh, well, you probably meet a lot of people. I'm 
like, yeah, I still feel bad. So I've learned to say like, good to see you or yeah, something that's more generic, maybe less, less, less likely good idea. trouble. But, um, good idea. but I mentioned the book and um, I don't have a copy of it with me here. I've got a copy of it in Texas. I love the book Toyota by Toyota. You've got one over your shoulder. Um, I, I, I talk up this book uh, as much as I can because um, you know it's it's um, I, it's 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 a great collection. Uh, maybe I'll let you you know tell everyone about a collection of perspectives from different Toyota folks. Yeah, we we wrote that book uh, several years ago, um, and kind of our premise was we wanted to uh, express to people. Uh, our reflections of working at Toyota and how that impacts how we teach and, and interact with, with people out in the world. Uh, we actually wanted to name the book something around reflection or something like that. And the, the publisher, we were kind of new to the business and the publisher really uh, pressured us to say, no, let's call it Toyota by Toyota. And, oh, well, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe they were afraid that uh, if, if we didn't have it, the, the name in there twice, uh, that it wouldn't come up on a Google search or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, so we, we learned a lot. Uh, one of the reasons we wrote the book was to learn how to write a book. And mm -hmm. so we learned a lot with that. And we, we will do things differently uh, in the future as we have other books come out. But uh, it was a good learning process. But yeah, the book, um, like you said, a collection of uh, different folks in, in Toyota and how they learned and then how they try to teach. So mm -hmm. we, we we really think about it as our reflection. And and Sammy and Daryl, I know you both worked for Toyota. Do you recall when and where you first met or worked together? It wasn't in Toyota. I actually, Daryl, you know, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I remember that clearly, but it was in Salt Lake City. Yeah, it was in 2008 in Salt Lake City. Um, I, Sammy and I met through LEI uh, contact as well that I had met at Toyota before. And uh, when I left Toyota to go out into the world, um, contacted them and they got they, they kind of sent out a, a, a contact with all the folks in LEI and said, hey, introduced to Daryl. And then Sammy responded. And a few, uh, few weeks later, he invited me to come kind of shadow him at a, a client in Salt Lake City. And uh, I remember he called me and said, yeah, it's going to be a standardized work workshop, you know, you, if you'd like to do some of it. And, and then it changed, like, would you like to do it all? And, and, <laughs> and, and it went from 24 people. Then he called me a few days later and said, oh, there's going to be 50. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never done 50 people. And we have to go to the Gimba. And we have to. And I, I remember calling him in a panic saying, Sammy, I, I can't can't do this. I thought, well, any career I may have had is already blown now because, you know, <laughs> and he said, oh, it's okay. Come on. And, and so we ended up splitting it and it was fine. But uh, yeah, I remember vividly uh, that experience because I thought uh, I made the biggest mistake in my life of leaving uh, the corporate world, going out into the consulting world. And it, this is the expectation to take 50 people on the floor. Oh, I must have made a mistake, but it worked out really well. And the rest is history, as they say. Mm -hmm. it was, and I remember that in one of the days, I'm not sure how many hours it was, I was called to a meeting that was that had nothing to do with the with the agenda. And uh, and Daryl just uh, took over. When I came back, people were already in love with him. So yeah. it was really amazing. 
And Sammy, I want to maybe ask each of you just real quick, um, your time in, in Toyota and locations and, and where you each were, uh, maybe Sammy, if you can go first. Sure. Well, uh, I was hired as a, an intern for just a year, uh, right after my technical college. Uh, it's actually technical high school in Brazil. They call it college, but it's high school. And um, so I, right after that one year, then I started my the college and then they sent me right after I graduated, they sent me to Japan. So it was from when I was 17 years old for 13 years, living uh, in Brazil, Toyota Brazil, and then in Toyota Japan, Toyota City for three years. Right after that, they sent me to Toyota Venezuela. Mm. Uh, I mean, there was no Toyota Venezuela at that time, but they wanted to start one. And uh, they converted one factory, CKD, as they call it, a complete knockdown assembly company into a Toyota factory. So I was there with a delegate group of another nine uh, TMC, Toyota Motor Corporation people to start this new factory. And then right after that, went back to Toyota Brazil for another two years. And then I came to the US. So 25 years ago, I immigrated, uh, finished some education here and got my green card. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history as Daryl says. Yeah. <laughs> and Daryl, how about you? Yeah, I started in Toyota, Kentucky. Um, interestingly enough, I had a career before. I was uh, working in education. I worked at the University of Kentucky. Um, and my oldest daughter's best friend in preschool, uh, we met her parents and we became friends and he worked at Toyota. And he said, hey, we're, we have this position you might be interested in. It was a, a, a coaching and development position where they were, were trying to, to set up a system to help people be successful uh, inside of Toyota where executives and, and senior leaders were maybe really good technically, but needed some support uh, on the, the people side. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of my background. And so I came in and uh, that was my first job. And I fell in love with the Toyota production system while I was there and, and was really lucky enough to be able to, uh, to study with ONDD, it's an operations management development division inside of Toyota, the, the internal keepers of the flame uh, in, a, in a sense for TPS. And so I got a chance to learn at, uh, at suppliers and on the floor in, in Toyota, Kentucky, uh, really, uh, I guess, at the Gimba kind of learning, the typical Toyota kind of teaching. And so I may have been the worst student that they ever had, uh, but I, I think I probably learned more percentage-wise than anybody they ever had too, because I was starting at such a low level. Um, so, so maybe that, that was, makes you the best student then, Daryl. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I guess it's depending on how you look at it, half full, half, in, half empty, or less than half em, uh, full. I don't know. Um, but from, from there, I, I had a chance to go to the North American headquarters. And so um, it was great working at the plant, but also wanted to kind of see more of uh, North American plants. And so I got a chance to go to all the plants, including NUMI and some of the others and, and work there. Um, one of my projects in the, in the North American headquarters was a startup in San Antonio. And so I was supporting that one week a month. And uh, I, I could tell that they were kind of hinting toward, why don't you come and join us? Uh, full-time and on the, on the Texas team. And because uh, the startup experience, as Sammy explained, you know, starting in Venezuela, the startup experience is such an amazing opportunity. There's no way to, to say no. 
Now I knew I was going from what I really loved uh, traveling and and seeing multiple places back to one place, but uh, it was just an amazing uh, experience to see how Toyota goes from nothing. And we had, we hadn't even broken ground when we, when I came, we're 70 people, 35 internal, 35 external uh, people who formed that initial team. And just to go from, from that until, you know, two and a half years later, we're, producing vehicles at tap time at the end of the first day. Um, It's just amazing to see how that happens. And, you know, I think uh, at that point I had an opportunity to to join Honcha and go out into the consulting world. And I took that and um, I've never looked back since then. Um, I was wondering uh, if either of you had the opportunity to meet or work with or learn from uh, Mr. Ova, who passed away recently, kind of legendary from Toyota Circles. Not me. Yeah, not directly. Mr. Oba started OMDD, um, so he was around NA some, but some of his students uh, continued that tradition. He was back in Japan by the time I had a chance to be a student uh, of theirs. Um, But, uh, you know, he's legendary, of course. He sure is. So maybe let's let's toast. Let's toast to him real quickly or, yeah. Oba-san. Oba-san. And she influenced, um, you know, influenced many, many people, um, including, you know, here in, in the U.S. I, I never had the chance to meet with him, but I've heard so much about him secondhand, second degree um, connections. Um, so, so we, um, you know, this is lean whiskey, and we we toasted, and and so this is maybe the the portion here um, where we'll talk about what are you drinking. Um, sometimes have a theme. The theme today is drink what you like. <laughs> it is not standardized and that's fine. Right. Yeah. Well, um, my, my drink of choice, I'm a Kentucky boy uh, at heart, uh, born and raised. And so there's, there's only one type of whiskey and that's bourbon whiskey uh, from my perspective. Yeah. And so my drink of choice is the Woodford reserve, a double oak. It's a special occasion being on Mark's uh, webcast podcast. So little double oak, uh, Woodford Reserve is is my special occasion go-to drink. Yes, I love Woodford Reserve and especially that double oak. I have some of that uh, in the bar here. And then we can tell by looking at it, you did something uh, you did something fun with it. You didn't just pour it into a glass. Yeah, I did my my special old-fashioned recipe, uh, my favorite uh, simple drink uh, with a little raw sugar instead of the regular sugar. Um, the liquid raw sugar is the best, uh, a smoked glass, kind of smoke a oak panel, put the glass on top and get it kind of smoky, uh, four or five, uh, shots of bitters and a shot of old fashioned or shot of whiskey. And also a little bit of water included as well. Yeah. And then, uh, I should have asked you, it would be fun to get, that sounds like quite a process when you get a video of that. Yeah, yes, I should do that. My actually, my neighbor called me uh, a couple of weeks ago, or, or texted me, said, "Can you give me your old-fashioned recipe?" Um, and I said, "Sure." So I walked him through all the steps. But a, a nice explainer video would be even better. Because I've I've seen a bartender do that trick. You know, a professional bartender doing that with lighting something on fire enough to create the smoke and then trap it in the glass. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, Extra, especially if it's oak already. So you got maybe triple oak now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this gives you that little extra whiff of, of oak as you're as you're having yeah. your whiskey. I mean, you could do that with uh, with the barrel stave that maybe has a little yes. bourbon in the wood. Yeah, you could do that. It'd be perfect. So, but I don't want to use this one because uh, 
it, it's kind of extra special. So I'll get a, I get, a, I get a generic one maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so maybe to, real quick, uh, just a pause on what you're drinking. Um, people on the video can see that Sammy and Daryl both have, um, it's a round piece of wood with something on there. Is that a whiskey barrel head? What's going on? Yeah, that's a whiskey barrel head. Um, it was a, it was a gift, uh, from, um, uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, friends last year for Christmas, so it's kind of nice. Uh, Sammy, you can tell what's tell them uh, what's in the middle. Yeah, that's the kanji for honsha. It it just shows hong, and there's the brackets here, which is two hands just embracing the origin. Hong is origin, as you probably know, and it's the same kanji that Daryl and I have uh, tattooed in our chests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yours is on your chest. Yeah, <laughs> I got the wrong memo. It played a prank on you when you were new. Yeah, it wasn't just yeah. a people prank. I can't even show mine on on video. Oh boy, so that's that's cool that you've got that barrel head uh, behind you, Sammy. What are you drinking? So we are not heavy drinkers here, but uh, we use sake for cooking. But this is a very nice, good, great sake, and and it's uh, it's from Japan. We have a Japanese store not so far from here, uh, so just drinking that on a sake glass. Okay, yeah, very nice. I like sake. I am intimidated by sake because I don't know the terminology, so I try to rely on somebody who knows what they're doing to make a recommendation, whether that's a friend who's with me or let's say the restaurant. Okay. Some people say that you can drink cold or warm or hot. Mm -hmm. yeah. It seems to be a little bit stronger, although it's the same thing, but it gets to your head a lot faster. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So I'm doing the cold one today. Yeah. Well, and, you know, speaking of process, like one of my favorite, if you will, rituals around drinking is when you have the sake served in the wooden box mm -hmm. that's on a plate. And like the symbolism and everything that goes into like making sure you overfill it a little bit and, you know, drinking from a square wooden vessel is, uh, is kind of unusual. And, and then there's etiquette, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I remember correctly. You're, you're not support, you're not supposed to pour your own. You're supposed to pour for others. Right. Yes. And let them serve you. And if, when they do, you have to drink at least one sip just to demonstrate acceptance. Yeah. So there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, nice, um, yeah, rituals around, around that and, you know, kind of overfilling it probably represents abundance that spills into a little plate and whether you're supposed to or not, I'll drink what's in that plate too, if it's good sake. <laughs> yeah. Probably not supposed to let it go to waste. I know a sushi chef, you know, would say, you know, don't waste rice and since sake is made from rice, maybe that applies. Yes. It has a big symbology. They call it motainai. Whenever you leave, you know, when I was a kid, my mom, although we spoke Portuguese at home, this multi-nai word is, is so strong from generations. And that means waste and disrespect. So if you have, and that's what I tell my kids too, you know, they are nine years old. If they leave eight, nine grains of rice in their plates, I still say, hey, multi-nai, yeah. because it's disrespectful to the entire chain of planting and 
or you know harvesting and transporting and washing and cooking and serving and then you know along two meals a day over 360 days so it's a full meal that you're just throwing out but that, that is yeah it's more of a symbology that we want everybody to uh, be respectful so all the work that got into that one grain of rice yeah yeah and what i'm drinking is um it's not going to show up well with the lighting it's uh, it's a japanese whiskey uh ichiro's malt and grain whiskey um this is absolutely one of uh, one of my favorite um japanese whiskeys um i managed to find a bottle here in california um, I, there, there's another one that was really difficult to find, um, Ichiro's malt whiskey that I purchased and brought home from Japan uh, mm. last, last time. And it was a shop where, you know, they, they had a bottle. This was in, um, this was not the time when I was there with you, Daryl, but this was in, um, I think it was actually in Osaka. There was like an underground liquor store in like the the walkways you know between the trains and the sort of the you know, underground shops and underground city and I was walking by one day and it caught my eye they had there are three different types of this Ichiro's malt and I think they had two of the three and I stopped and I asked about the price and I I didn't have my passport with me which maybe was bad practice on my part but I couldn't get the the tax free price or whatever. I thought, okay, well, I'll get my passport. I'll come back tomorrow. I came back the next day. It had already sold. Oh, bad mistake. You know, save a little bit of money and then to not get it. But then the shopkeeper was really nice. He said, I think we're getting more in on Thursday. And so I came back on Thursday and he recognized me. And I don't think he had it like completely set aside reserved, but you know, he had made that effort to, to help me get what I was looking for. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned there. Uh, if you see a rare whiskey, <laughs> go ahead and buy it. <laughs> Do you have uh, Japanese stores in uh, your area there? Marina del Rey, I think they have uh, Marukai, no? Yes, there, oh, there are um, there are many um, sushi restaurants and we're gonna talk about sushi um, here in Japan, um, Adventures at Daryl. And I in a group had, but in particular, I mean, I love uni and uni is easier to find here in Southern California than it is in Texas. So you've got Santa you don't Barbara. like the Texas uni? Come on. <laughs> Off the Gulf Coast? No. <laughs> you can get the Santa Barbara uni, but the, the Japanese uni, particularly the Hokkaido uni is, is the best. And there's at least one restaurant that I've found and I've gone to that specializes in uni. You can have uni 20 different ways at this restaurant. So I'm, I'm in uni heaven down here. <laughs> different, uh, different story. So, um, so Daryl and I had um, cross paths I and mean, we had lunch, we had met um, cross paths at a conference. And then, you know, it was very kind of you, you know, the invitation to go on one of the Honcho trips to Japan that was just over two years ago. I think Facebook was reminding me yes. of, um, of some of this. And, you know, uh, su such, you know, it's always, you know, a special opportunity and to go and, and to learn from you and your Honcho um, colleagues was, uh, was such a, a great, a great experience. And, you know, one of the things I've heard you say at a conference, and then we talked about it again, during the trip, um, not to make you blush, Daryl, but this is one of the favorite phrases that I've ever heard. And, uh, and when it related to 
the Troyad production system or lean. And I think it just sums up so much of it. And I'm going to read off the way I jotted it down. And I've heard you say it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to ask you to elaborate on it. It's the leader's responsibility to provide a system in which people can be successful. Hopefully I learned that. That was your intent. That was what you said. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I've said it different ways, but that's, uh, that, that captures the essence of it, I think. Yeah. So what is more of the essence of that to kind of elaborate? There's a lot to pull apart in a single sentence, I think. Yeah, I think it, it you know, you could take it pretty deep uh, and and have lots of discussions around, you know, what that means and, and what it looks like in companies that have really good systems. And then what it looks like also in companies that don't, you know, so you can kind of compare and contrast. And I, I think one of the things that folks who, um, who grew up at Toyota from maybe it was their only job, and, and they stayed at Toyota for, you know, 30, 35 years, uh, maybe they don't realize actually what they're working in mm-hmm. and, and how special it is. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they even go and become consultants and they'll go out and try to implement, uh, but it's so different in the world. You know, there's no underlying systems and processes that support all the things we take for granted. And so since I joined Toyota uh, after I'd already, you know, had some outside work experience, and then was able to go even after that and, and teach other people. Um, I, I got a chance to kind of really experience the uh, the the, uh, the greatness of it uh, as a as coming in a little bit later, and then be able to to go out and contrast that with other organizations. So part of that is a really simple kind of look, and and we we talked about when we teach uh, TPS and and topics like that internally at Toyota. Uh, just a simple kind of uh, a waste, right? You have uh, Muri, Mura, and Muda. And most people are very uh, aware of Muda, you know, the seven waste. And I'm, I'm a purist. It's seven waste. Uh, mm-hmm. It's what we, we learned and, and what we teach. Um, but there's also, you know, the other parts of waste too, the other two Ms. And, and the, the, the Muri, uh, the overburden, and the Mura, which is unevenness, those are system-level things, and so most, especially frontline team members, don't have a lot of impact on that. It's, I guess it's arguable that they have no impact on those system level things. They work within that system. So if you're working in systems that have a lot of overburden of people and machines and processes, if you're working in systems that, that have a lot of unevenness, then you're, you're really experiencing the, uh, the impact of, of those uh, bad systems and how they impact people and also you know other parts of the business as well and if we if we kind of take a few steps back and look at that you know that's our responsibility as leaders to put that in place and then when we don't then it's a it goes back to Sammy's comment around being respectful you know that's a respectful thing is to set people up to be successful I think that's kind of a surface level uh, d- uh, description we could again go deeper and deeper um, but it, it, it's not just about the process. It's also about those systems and the thinking way and the, the vision setting that happens with, with leaders. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's a gap in that, uh, it's usually the people, you know, who, who come in and have to do the, uh, get the cars out every day or get the patients out every day or take care of uh, the patients or take care of customers that suffer from that. So yeah, we could, we could have a whole podcast just on that probably, but uh, that's kind of the highlight. We can do that again at some point. Sure. Um, I mean, Sammy, what what are your thoughts and reflections around that, that concept of 
leader's responsibility to provide a system? Yeah, one thing that uh, called my attention, I, Toyota was my first place of employment and I, I always thought that was the normal way of doing things everywhere. And uh, it was a big shock when I, I left Toyota, came to the US and then I saw that you know, it's, not, it's not even apparent. I think it's just uh, accepted you know, that amount of waste. People don't know exactly what to do, what kind of standards to follow. Uh, and yeah, when we say uh, respect for people, I think that's mainly how can we respect their time doing work here? Maybe by creating the, the standards uh, and ways for them to not fail would be responsibilities of a leader. So, mm -hmm. so I, I only learned things like you know, Toyota call it four S's. Uh, here mm -hmm. they call it five S's. I only learned the purpose of that after I came to the US. After 13 years in Toyota, I never knew what that was for. But when I came here the first day, I said, wow, how can you even function in an environment where you don't know anything? Um, so I, then it hit me, oh, that's why Toyota uses 4Ss. Yeah. I mean, at some point it was three S and we often talk about five S and yeah. Yeah. You know, Daryl talked about 15 S <laughs> seven yeah. wastes instead of eight. And then people propose a ninth. And I mean, I, I, I don't like saying uh six S because I think safety is more of a, a precondition. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, the word starts with S, but so does sushi and security. <laughs> so, I thought it was smile. I thought the six S was smile. I missed that one. Um, yeah, that, that's one of our kind of running jokes is that we we look for all the S's that people uh, and and it, the spirit is good. They want to they, they're in the spirit of kaizen. They want to make a, a three S and four S and five S better. So they say, oh, let's add another S. Maybe that will be the way it's better. Yeah, uh, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, you know that that phrase. You know, we talk about a leader's responsibility to provide a system. Um, that is very different than um, you know many healthcare settings, unfortunately, where I hear later leaders blaming frontline medical professionals, and they use language like, "Well, we're going to hold them accountable." And to me, that seems unfair, and I would even say disrespectful of quote unquote. Yes. You know, let's just say blaming somebody for a bad result that's driven by the system, um, lack of error proofing, overburden lack of standard work, um, silos and, and poor communication across those silos. Those are all systemic factors. And um, so I, I end up trying to repeat that phrase and, and sharing it in a way, hopefully that inspires leaders to, to, to think about that sense of responsibility because it, it kind of flips things 180 and that, you know, it's not like flipping a light switch where people say, oh, right, yeah, it is my responsibility. Right. And, and I think that word you mentioned, accountability, is kind of a, uh, a red flag word for me. I always listen a little bit more when people say that because I want to really understand what they mean. Uh, right. Sometimes it's it, it just means I want to blame. Right. I don't want to take responsibility. And and so I've, I've uh, this is kind of a Hoshin season right now. A lot of I'm working with some organizations on uh, with their Hoshin right now and and uh, this comes up because uh, once we start really figuring out what are the top uh, breakthrough items you're going to do, we start to break that down into, you know, what we're going to do to execute on that and how we're going to measure. And, 
And that word comes up a lot with leadership teams is, oh, yes, we need to hold, you know, the managers accountable. So, well, let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And accountability is a part of a process as well. It's not the first thing. You know, the first thing is really understanding what we're trying to accomplish and sharing that with everybody. So we're clear, we're crystal clear on exactly what we're trying to do. And we've also translated that down through the organization so that people understand what this high level goal means to them and what they're doing. So we we kind of uh, perform the faithful translator concept all the way through the organization. And once we do that, you know, have we, we clarified the guidelines of how we're going to accomplish it? You know, what is our value system? You know, what is the right way and the wrong way to do things? You know, what are the regulations and rules and, and laws and things that are applicable here? Have we really done a good job of helping people understand that? Have we given people resources, you know, good systems, you know, good training, uh, uh, whether it be, you know, computers or whatever tools that they need to be successful? Then we can hold people accountable. But if we haven't done those things, we can't just say, I, I blame you. Right. Uh, we have to make sure we have done those things. And then the last part of that is, you know, what are the consequences? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not a bad word. That's just what naturally happens if we are successful at doing what we said we we're going to do as an individual or as a team. And what happens if we're less than successful? You know, what happens after that? So uh, I love that. I love it when I hear that because it, it really sparks a lot of good conversations with people uh, so they understand their role. They can't just say you're accountable. They yeah. have to also set that system up before that yeah. so that we can hold people accountable and people want that, but they want to be set up for, for success to, and then be held accountable, not just pointed in a, in a, any direction and say, yeah. I blame you if, if it's yeah. not what I, what was in my mind. Yeah. So I want to, I want to just build off of that and jump into a, a story that we can look back on and, and laugh about Um when, when we were part of the, the trip in Japan, Daryl. So I'm going, to, I'm going to tell the story from my perspective, then I'm going to ask you to sort of fill in some details or what you recall from your perspective. But you know, we had the bus in our group, that uh, large group of what, 25, 30, 20, call 25 people. We pull up to um, you know, a fairly large sushi, sushi restaurant. And um, we, we all come in and we're seated at different tables and it's conveyor belt sushi which I think is really cool because I've done that before. They have that, you know, uh, in, in London and they have it in here in the U.S. now. And I had done conveyor belt sushi on different trips to Japan. So I thought I knew how it worked. And this is the mistake, right? I thought I knew how it worked. And then this is where my mistake comes in. We can talk about whether I should have been blamed or held accountable or what happened. So you know, the, you know, the conveyor belt sushi, you've got plates coming around. And my understanding of conveyor belt sushi was that if you see something that you, looks good to you, you grab it. And then, uh, you know, they charge you for the, the different plates that you take. Now, I've been the places where there was a separate special order flow, where if you put in a special order, it would come on a track directly to your table to kind of help make clear like, well, this, this one was prepared especially for you in response to your order. So here we were and um, we were grabbing plates off of the conveyor belt. And then at some point it was somehow made clear to us that we were creating chaos because at this conveyor belt sushi restaurant, there were regular plates and then there were plates on red pedestals. And I had mistakenly assumed that a plate on a red pedestal was maybe more expensive. It turns out, no, those were the special orders. 
we were grabbing people's special orders, which was rude. And, and I, I was really embarrassed inadvertently, you know, done, um, messing up other people's lunch, messing up the flow for the restaurant. Then Daryl, we put you in a situation to sort of try to help clean up this mess a little bit, right? What, what was the story from your perspective? <laughs> well, so, uh, one of my favorite things is to take the Japan trip and I'm really, uh, saddened at this time of the year because usually I do one in May and October and we haven't been able to do either this year with COVID. Um, So, and we, I I really love to take the group to uh, one of the sushi conveyor belt sushi places because the quality is, is outstanding for one for that kind of restaurant. It's hard to believe. Um, And, but they're all a little different. And so um, this particular one we went into, I think was really exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't have as much English direction and, and some of the visual management wasn't quite as, as, as uh, self apparent, I guess, um, as we maybe may have been used to in some other ones. So I think uh, uh, from a leadership perspective of kind of leading that tour, we failed to put you guys in a really good process. And so we learned a lot from that. You know, we, if uh, what we have done since then is to have, more instruction uh, and and uh, some more visuals when we go into one of the to one of the restaurants um, because we want to put you guys in a better process when you're going through so you can be successful and not uh, leave such a bad reputation. We're never allowed to go back to that sushi restaurant ever again. I'm just a joke. No, okay, good. <laughs> just kidding. Good. Just kidding. I'm sure it's not the first time that it happened. Um, but that's, you know, that's a good point, though, you know, and we uh, on that trip, we constantly look for for teaching opportunities about process. And so our goal is always, you know, to have it be seamless for for the participants for everything from from 6 a.m. until, you know, midnight, whatever you end, that it's a seamless experience. Yeah. And anytime it's not, uh, then then we should really look and reflect uh, on what we can do better. And so we have definitely reflected on that process uh, and other others that we do on the trip as well to make it as seamless and put people in really good processes so they can be successful. You, you may remember on the trip, we have a little, you know, uh, attendance because the, the trip has become, there's so many people usually, we want to not just count to see how many people are on the bus, but we have a little sliding thing. When you get on the bus, you slide it over to your end, right? Yep, I remember that. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, we will have a, person or two who doesn't do that. And and I know it sounds like it probably looks like a like a stick or something that I do, but you know, I'll, I'll go back to the person and apologize to them. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't do a good enough job in developing this system to help you be successful. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and I am serious. Uh, if it was better, they wouldn't have they would it would be error proof, right? You would say, yeah, I forgot to do it, right? And so yeah. how could we make it possible to not forget? Right, right. So nobody wants to do a bad job. Everybody wants to do the best job, but I, I've got to put them in a really good position. So we learned that in the sushi sushi restaurant. We learned it in lots of other ways. So uh, not just the the tours we go on in Japan. It's also those learning opportunities like that. They're they're yeah. priceless. And and the least surprising thing I've heard all week is that you learned from that and you've made improvements. So yes, of course. Yeah, it was uh, pretty traumatic. <laughs> For well, I mean, I was mortified, <laughs> embarrassed. I felt like I brought great shame. I mean, uh, yeah. and what about the hungry people at the end of the line who didn't get any food that day? You know, I feel <laughs> bad for them too. 
Well, it's just, you know, I feel bad. I don't want people to think in the future of like, oh no, here comes a group of foreigners and they're going to screw up our lunch. I hopefully nobody uh, had too bad of a perception of us, but you know, that, I mean, I mean, a part of, part of the, the joy and the challenge of doing the Japan trips is getting out of your comfort zone and learning, not just about a different culture and, and a different way of life and doing your best to fit in and, you know, not, um, you know, not, not being the tall blade of grass that, that sticks out, but it's unavoidable when you're a foreigner. I mean, I think on other trips, I think that was my fourth time to Japan. So maybe I'd learned enough, like I was overconfident in my ability to navigate the conveyor belt sushi. Um, you know, I remember in, in previous trips being told, that, like, well, if you can follow the rules, that's great, but they'll cut you some slack because you're probably apparently to me or to, you know, uh, yeah. not, well, okay, well, clearly the, you're not the 10 times rule. It's a 10 times rule. Say that again. You know? that? And there's, it's like a 10 times rule. And part of that 10 times rule is that they will forgive you if you're not doing anything, you know, on purpose. So you have 10 times forgiveness in some things uh, and then 10 times more attention in other, other conditions. But in that one, I think we're safe. No, on that trip, Dan Markovitz, um, our friend and, and fellow author who was part of um, the group, you'd in, you had invited him as well. He was out for an early morning run, you know, because of jet lag and he's a runner and it was probably 4.30 in the morning and he jaywalked. And you know, that's the first thing you observe in Japan is that people do not jaywalk. They do not cross against the light. Um, and Dan apparently had done that. And uh, a police car rolled by and yelled at him over the PA. And for one, it was, you know, it was in Japanese and maybe it was dark and they couldn't tell that Dan, he does speak Japanese, but you know, if they had gotten a good look at him, they wouldn't have assumed that. But um, I remember what Dan said, they, they sort of, you know, kind of over the loudspeaker said basically, that's unsafe, which is different than you think police might yell, don't do that, or just that's against the law. Um, I thought it was interesting that that's what they yeah. yelled at him and he actually understood it. Me, I would thought, um, you know, I was just threatened with arrest. Well, that's a good point. It, it went to the purpose of, of that rule. You know, the purpose is to be safe, it, right. not, not to punish you, but it's to be safe. And it was a nice reminder, I'm sure, for Dan. He got some coaching. He got some coaching on that. Um, Sammy, I mean, you said you got to live and work in Japan. Did you have any sort of uh, moments of, of trying to fit in and how to get along there. <laughs> no, but when you're talking about this, uh, they call it Kurukuru Zushi, the one conveyor belt, it brought me a good memory. The first time I went there, the, in Toyota City, they had one that was totally automated with, even the sushi was done by a little robot wow. that made the little squares. And I didn't know that, well, it was the first time in, uh, in Japan, you know, to, to start with. So it was, I didn't even know that I, they counted the number of plates and the colors and they would charge you by the number. And so I would be eating the sushi and putting the plates back to the conveyor belt. So that's even worse because it looks like you're trying to avoid, you know, a big, <laughs> a big uh, uh, bill at the end. Right. But I also looked Japanese, so it's even it's double worse because <laughs> it just yeah didn't um, but it wasn't on purpose. 
But then um, when you were with a group of other Japanese people uh, or Japanese looking people, um, it it doesn't, it's not as forgiving as uh, (laughs) as if you're a a real foreigner. Yeah. Yeah, but I no, one of our friends, uh, Sammy and I's friends, uh, he, he's also Japanese-Brazilian. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in Japan several years ago, and, and he asked for directions um, and didn't speak Spanish. I mean, didn't speak uh, Japanese. He spoke uh, Portuguese. Uh, and the lady looked at him like in, with disgust, like, what? You don't speak <laughs> Japanese? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a 10 times rule the opposite way sometimes. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good lesson in um, assumptions and misunderstandings that that come out of that. You know, with Dan, or like uh, I was uh, in when I was in Japan, maybe five or six years ago, a college buddy of mine um, had ended up studying Japanese literature and Japanese language in Japan. Um, he was uh, on sabbatical, and so he was back in Japan um, researching and studying. And so I got to go hang out with him. And he, he looks like a kind of like a shorter Conan O'Brien. He's got, you know, big red hair. And, and so, you know, uh, you know, they both have stories on, you know, kind of like inadvertently overhearing things because people assume they don't speak Japanese. And, you know, my friend Kendall, uh, you know, is very fluent and Dan would claim he's not very fluent, but I think he, he understands a lot. So um, creates, you know, you could probably do a whole, uh, it's, it's like sitcom moments of the, uh, the misunderstandings and miscommunications that, that come from bad assumptions. And, and that, that's a bad thing in the workplace too, right? When we make, bring it back to TPS talk a little bit, like we have to be careful about making assumptions in the workplace. What you throw it to you? What, what thoughts or reactions to that idea? Most of my stories around that are are too embarrassing to tell, so I'll let Sammy take that. <laughs> but but talking about the um, this episode of jaywalking, uh, if it was in Toyota City, most people work for Toyota, and that reminds me of one of my friends. Uh, he got into a, a car accident, mm-hmm. and he was another intercompany transferee from Toyota Brazil, and he you know he was a Japanese descent. And right after his accident, uh, the OPED, Overseas Production Engineering Division, head called us. And he was responsible for, for all the, you know, the ICTs, as they call it. And he had to go to the whiteboard, explain, I was this A car, there was a B car and a C car, and he drew the diagram and explained exactly what got him into this accident. Mm-hmm. Then the following morning, they had this already printed on on these yellow sheets. We were we had to wear those safety number one yeah. ribbons and distribute that pamphlet to everybody coming in at eight o'clock. That's oh. the uh, you know some sometimes people think it's humiliating, um, but you know, it's the way Toyota uses to make sure people understand that this is the way it happens. What is the way you can find so it doesn't happen again? What's the cause of it? Mm-hmm. But that's the reason why many, many times when you uh, go to work, you see a lot of people with those yellow hats, the Anzen Daichi or Safety First, mm-hmm. distributing you know, exactly what happened and 
and they cultivate. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's a different level of uh, <laughs> safety awareness, I think. Yeah. And when you, you work with different organizations, um, I'm, I'm sure you end up coaching people on problem solving. And it, and it seems like assumptions can get us in trouble when we're trying to improve something. We, we assume we know what the cause was, or we, we assume that a solution, a countermeasure is going to be successful. How, how do you have thoughts on, on coaching people through that? Well, one of the foundations of that uh, house of TPS or Toyota Way uh, is the Genchi Genbutsu. So we, we place a lot of emphasis on how important it is for you to not interview people, not get reports, mm -hmm. uh, not hear, but go there and see and touch. Uh, and if you can really answer all the questions, you know, usually, uh, you know, that five W's on H, you know exactly what's happening, where, when. It, then you you get credentials to uh, to start solving a problem because the first step of solving a problem is understanding it really well. So we place a lot of you know focus on on that. And then if it's too big and you don't understand it quite well, then you break it down to uh, smaller, biteable size. Yeah, breaking down the problem. A good lesson. Yes. Daryl is trying to tee you up to say something not embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> not well, embarrassing yeah. stories. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There, there's a, of course a lot of stories around. I think around around that. You know, and even inside, even internally in Toyota, um, I had the opportunity to be a part of the um, the the, <clears throat> the development and the pilot of the. Uh, change and problem solving inside Toyota. We called it the Toyota Business Practice or the TBP. And I got a chance to, to teach a lot of the executive sessions when we were rolling that out. And I was so so shocked when uh, some of the senior leaders, and, and my job was to kind of help guide them through the process. And when some of the senior leaders would show me their their problem solving start and their A3, and, and even at that level, uh, there was a lot of kind of a jumping to solution and then working backwards to make sure that their paper looked like their solution that they already had in mind. And really, you know, pushing back on that is, is not easy sometimes to do, especially, you know, if they're superior to you on the org chart. Um, but I'm, I'm dealing with that right now with another, with some other clients who are going through a deeper um, uh, a deeper look at Hoshin Conry, and which is just a, a higher level of problem solving in a sense. You're mm. trying to anticipate right. problems, really. Yeah. And then as we break those down from high level to second level, third level in the organization, uh, seeing kind of the the solutions that they offer already without really understanding the problem. So it's so common. Uh, we we don't even. Uh, I think in a lot of organizations, they don't even notice they do it. It's so mm -hmm. common for them. It's just the air they breathe. Um, and then yeah. you end up doing so many solutions um, that you're not sure which solution was for, uh, in, in probably don't even know root cause, you know? So yeah, maybe it impacted something, but how did we get there? We don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really tough one um, to, but uh, I'm, I'm so thankful to have that Toyota experience, you know, whether it really was, that was the air we breathed. We yeah. weren't allowed not to uh, 
uh, you know, at the end, it took a lot of coaching and I provided some and I got a lot more than I ever provided, believe me, uh, about uh, my assumptions uh, internally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big part is really, you know, it's keeping your mind open um, and, and not jumping to solution. That's probably the hardest thing to, to get out of the habit of sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and breaking those habits. Um, when I think back, this is going back to 1996 when I was working at General Motors. Um, after about a year working there under a very traditional plant manager who like accountability was too big of a word, right? It was just <laughs> yell and scream and blame and cursing at people. And it was, it was a really toxic um, environment. But then we got a new plant manager. Sammy had mentioned earlier the NUMI plant, the joint venture um, between GM and, and Toyota. Our new plant manager was one of the original General Motors people. Um, one, of the, one of the books or articles that were being written about them referred to them as the, uh, the NUMI commandos swooped in from General Motors. And so that plant manager, Larry Spiegel, had the benefit of having spent at least 15 years in the GM, the traditional GM, then getting that new experience at Toyota or NUMI, and then coming back to other GM plants to try to help change them. Right. So, um, you know, he had been successful in another plant and then he came into ours and you know, he was now leading a, an organization that was full of middle-level managers and frontline supervisors that were steeped in that toxic air for 30, 35 years, all of them. And then, you know, Larry was coming in with a different perspective and, and trying to change that. And, you know, it was a huge challenge. And the, the, the plant made great progress in, in a couple of years. And I, I had a chance at one point sort of reconnect with Larry after I'd been gone. And I think he was retired and teaching at University of Michigan and asking him about what was it like coming back in and trying to have the, you know, these, I may have used the word knuckleheads or, you know, like just, uh, you know, these people that were not operating the way you would have wanted them to. And how, how did you deal with that? And he, and he said something to the effect of like, well, I had to remind myself and to be patient that they didn't have the good fortune to have the experience that I had. And I thought that was pretty powerful, right? That he had that Toyota experience and it did transform him, but then, you know, it was tough now that he was a, at one point he was a fish out of water and now he was back in the GM water. <laughs> How to, I'm mixing my analogies, but um you know, I bet anyway, you know, you talk about, you know, the good, Daryl, when you were saying, you know, the good fortune that you had and Sammy, it seems like you agree to have been exposed to that. I think Larry, even though he only had, you know, a couple of years of that before being thrown back into the GM pond, I know he really appreciated that as well. Yeah, it's a good mix of uh, courage and humility, as we talked about before. Well, and, and going back to the book, um, Toyota by Toyota, I mean, you know, go back to the first chapter of talking about um, leading with humility, but also courage and challenge, if I remember right, like that all fitting together, right? Yeah, courage, humility, and Kaizen kind of is the heart of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, and that word challenge comes up um, like in the, the, the Toyota Way documents. And, you know, I think, you know, I learned from from Larry and, and others along the way, respect for people doesn't the, mean- The good book. There you, you go, yeah. <laughs> Um, 
that respect for people doesn't mean being soft on people that, that, you know, any good coach challenges you to perform up to the level you're capable of, which is maybe part of that system that they're, they're hopefully creating. Yeah, that's, I think that's a big part of it. And it's, it's, you know, when we talk about that, you know, the, the model that we use in Honcha, the um, continuous improvement and respect with the heart being the courage, humility, and Kaizen. Um, so that it is, it's a very, um, when, when we do that coaching, you know, it, it's, and we challenge people. And a lot of times I talk about, it's not about just being uh, polite and nice to people. You know, that's, that's easy to do for the most part. But it's uh, and when we, we talk about Kaizen, we really, really focus on not just the, the, continue, the change for better and that kind of thing. You know, that's that's important part and it's really easy to market it. But the harder part of that is this um, is kind of a sacrifice, really, of, of sacrificing your old ways, sacrificing your effort and your time. And as a leader, uh, every time I coach someone, uh, I am I am sacrificing part of my my time, effort and energy. Mm. And so when I do that, it is, I must be respectful by uh, leveraging that time to make them uh, get, help them get closer to their potential. Yeah. And, and that should be the, my main focus. And of course, doing it in a, a way that is, is attractive to people, not pushing them away. You want to, you want, you don't want to, you know, push people away. Uh, but, but the main part of that is really, I'm going to give you show respect uh, by giving feedback. So for me personally in Toyota, if, and, and I try to emulate this when I'm teaching and coaching, if I get a document back in Toyota and it had nothing on it, uh, it said, oh, good job. Well, there's two possibilities. You know, one is I'm perfect. Well, we probably, those of you who know me know that's not true. Um, the other is they just didn't care enough to, to give any thought to it. Yeah. And so when you get your document back uh, and it's got extensive questions mm -hmm. and, and yeah. then you get suggestions, uh, you truly know that you're being respected. That's the sign of respect. Yeah. Now, I have to admit, I wish there had been some times when I had a little less respect <laughs> because <laughs> so many iterations, you know, to, to, to make it better. Yeah. But I think that's that's part of, you know, you were, you were telling the story of the leader who said, you know, uh, they, they have to have the perspective of they haven't had the experience I had. And we also have to have the experience the, on the other side of that, if we're being coached and developed, if we can have the mindset that this truly is respect mm -hmm. when I get this feedback. It, and, and if it's done in, the, in that spirit, then uh, it's, you know, it really creates a great atmosphere for people to mm -hmm. challenge and learn and and continuously improve. Yeah. It means I care about you and I want you to do the best you can. Yeah. I think so. Um, and these are, so lean whiskey is, um, you know, part of the podcast here is, you know, these are the types of conversations that we'll have over a whiskey and a hotel bar in Japan, right? <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> Which we had a few of those. So. We have. Yes. Um, except Thankfully, the room I'm in right now is uh, is not smoky. Uh, it doesn't have quite the charm and, and the character of uh, a hotel bar in Nagoya, but <laughs> so be it. It is true. 
Um, like so maybe one, one last thing we can cover here, you know, I'm curious, how has life and work changed uh, so um, you know, for you, for each of you during the pandemic here as, as consultants or anything else you want to share reflections on what we're all going through this year? So well, I didn't know that Mickey could cook so well. It's great food, I'll tell you. Um, she, yeah. But, you know, and she spends most of the time uh, sewing for, you know, those face masks. Uh, I spend most of my time here in the office doing, um, just doing internal work for Honsha and trying. And to you also cook a lot as well. Brazil. So you share that. Brazil has a lot of new members just recently, um, just retired from Toyota. So it's, it's a lot of those uh, internal development huh. nowadays and. And I just love it. I couldn't ask for anything better. Yes. Making the best of it, right? <laughs> Yeah, we're, I think we're really lucky. Um, I mentioned earlier, we, we have uh, um, three anchor clients, kind of our main clients, um, and several others that are kind of um, a little bit more, uh, l less uh, intensive than, than those. But these are, you know, multiple people, you know, pretty much full time. Two of them maintain throughout and, and they got even more demand um, because of the industries that they're in. And one of them paused, uh, they were auto supplier, they paused and they, they have started back up again. So we've been really lucky in that, in that aspect of being able to, um, to continue working remotely and supporting remotely. Um, we have some people uh, that were kind of in residence at one of the clients, so they live, they moved to the city, they live there. So they would be like a team member, they would go in from time to time. So really lucky in that aspect. I think I traveled 2019, 204 days, um, of course, March 7th, I came home uh, from a trip and haven't been, out, been back since. So, um, but as Sammy said, we've been working a lot on internal things. One thing that has really, I think, um, I, I think it's been better. I'll, I'll say that. Like I said earlier, I worked with some companies over the years in uh, Hoshin Conry development. And uh, most of those companies are part of a, a private equity group that uh, some friends of mine have been have been with for 13 years or so. And um, when we were doing it face to face, uh, we, we would generally have to do a lot in a short amount of time, and then you know move on to the next company or something like that. And this year, for the first time, we've been able to actually have real discussions and real catch ball and real uh, uh, taking it through the organization, at least at this point, you know, down at least a, a couple of levels. And I don't think that would have been possible uh, in the, in the pre-COVID times. Um, we have, we're more used to technology like Zoom. Uh, we've been using Miro as a, uh, as a uh, interaction collaboration platform. And it's, it's ideally suited for things like Hoshin uh, and being able to do those kind of collaborative things and problem solving and, so I, I, I hate to say, but like Sammy said, you know, there's a lot of things that are better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think what, what we all are going to be 
thinking differently about work in the future, regardless of what happens and what it means to be effective, what it means to be productive, mm-hmm. um, challenging, um, maybe excessive travel, for example. You know, do we really need, what is the big benefit? And I don't think we're, we're social beings, so we're, we're going to want to be together. Yeah. But how do we take advantage of some of the things we're learning about work and also, we should never, as you know, the three of us, you never forget, you know, how privileged we are to be able to even have that opportunity. Whereas so yeah. many folks in the, in the world, they don't, you know, and this is an overwhelming burden for them. Right. And some people will never recover. So we have to keep that part of our humility and humanity as well. Um, Sammy and 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 I, we we um, we have a, an organization called Lean for Hope, where we work with um, um, not-for-profit organizations around the world who, who struggle to, to utilize their precious limited resources. And Lean is a great way to help organizations, even not-for-profits, uh, uh, really use their precious limited resources well. And so that's going to be a big part of our focus going forward is how do we, how do we help people recover from this um, and, and not, uh, you know, not lose sight of just how lucky we are. So we can't forget that. Very well said, very beautifully said. So thank you for for all of that, Daryl. So, you know, I think we'll wrap up. It's been really great catching up with uh, with the both of you and, and having this conversation. Um, so again, you know, today we've been joined with Sammy Obara and Daryl Wilburn uh, from Hansha. Their website is hansha.org if you want to learn more about them and their work. And, um, you know, one thing that had been on the list today that we didn't really get to, Sammy had shared um, an interesting article on on LinkedIn, so you can go check out um, Sammy's profile on on LinkedIn, and and you know, there's different ways of of sharing uh, articles and thoughts and and everything there. So thank you, um, thank you for that. So with that, um, Daryl, I've been I'm jealous of your old fashioned. I'm also impressed yes. with your di- I'm also impressed with your discipline that you still have uh-huh. some in the glass. <laughs> yeah, well, it won't last long. So. <laughs> Don't let that ice. Cube uh, melt too much. Uh, That's a good thing about an old fashioned. It's always a little different, even as you go through it. So I'll enjoy all the phases of the old fashioned. Yeah, that's great. So I guess we'll say uh, cheers and come pie. Come pie. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. It's good to see you again. Thanks for being here.